This is a free download from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at Le Banks, St. Samson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. Yeah, Father God, we just come today to stand abandoned to you, to give it all back to you, to surrender ourselves again to you. Lord, we thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your blessing and your mercy, your forgiveness and grace on our lives, Lord Jesus. We stand with thankful hearts today, completely giving ourselves over as an offering to you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Um, I want to speak today um, just to continue the theme of excelling in passion. Um, John spoke to me and said, you know, he wanted us to do a few, uh, few sermons on this, this subject of passion for God, igniting our passion and our love and fervor for God. And um, we know that I guess nothing great happens in the world without passion, without a love, without a desire for the thing that that person is doing, whatever it might be. Passion opens up the door for achievement, whether it be business, great leaders, great inventions and discoveries, breaking records, whatever it is, there has to be this desire that drives people forward, this love and passion. Passion. I always get a bit scared by that word, if... I'm truthful when people start talking about passion for God because I begin to think that I'm kind of the worst of the worst Christian and I'm the least passionate around. But you know what? I don't think passion sometimes is always what we think it might be. That kind of four hours of Bible study, getting up at 2 a.m. on your knees in prayer and all that jazz now. That is somebody who's passionate, I'm sure. But actually, passion is really, isn't it? Making God just number one in your life in every area, just being godly and doing what God would want us to do, serving him wholeheartedly, being sincere and genuine in our faith. And so I think today we all sit here with a passion for God. We all sit here with a love for God. That's why we're here, because we want to know God and experience him more. So I want to look today really at what can come in sometimes and just maybe dampen our passion and excitement for God. What can just come and kind of overshadow or rob us of that expectancy of what God can do in our lives. I witnessed yesterday a great deal of passion. I had the privilege of being invited to go and watch Guernsey FC, Guernsey Football Club, play yesterday. And um, I was invited to go along with two of our most respected, honoured, committed members of our congregation. And you're all looking at yourselves, aren't you, and thinking, is that me? I went with Sid and Laurie to go and see the Guernsey FC play. 
And there's passion for you, passion for the game, passion for their team. And I had a great time. Thank you so much for allowing me to join with you. Um, but not just in Laurie showing passion about the game, but it was all around me. I was sat next to a man who was very passionate, wasn't I, Sid, <laughs> about the game, wanted to tell me everything. Um, but we see it, we experience it, we, can, we know it, don't we, when we see that someone really has a heart for something and it consumes them, it becomes their life. In Romans 12, 11, it says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep that spiritual fervor. When Jesus went into the temple... That passage, that well-known passage where he overturned the tables, uh, he was offended because the house of God was not being used as a house of prayer. The psalmist said, zeal for your house will consume me. And that was it. Jesus goes in, zeal for God's house consumed him to try and put right what was wrong, what was going on that angered him. John mentioned that verse in Revelation about the idea of God saying, you know, you are neither hot nor cold, but you have become lukewarm. It's better to be hot or cold. And sometimes, I don't know if you're like me, but without even knowing, kind of lukewarmness just kind of sneaks up on you. And you look at your Christian life and you feel a little bit like you've become a little bit uh, lukewarm. Well, today I just want to look and see what is it maybe the things that come along to make us feel a little bit like that because deep down in our hearts we love God deep down we have a passion for God and we want God to to reign in our lives and rule in our lives and do everything and become everything that we can become but sometimes without knowing this lukewarmness can come up and sneak up on us so passion how can we excel in passion John shared last week the great um, thought about, you know, knowing to, needing to know even how much God loves us and God cares for us and God is for us. That is so, so important, isn't it? If we're going to be passionate for God, we need to know what he thinks of us. It's like a human relationship, isn't it? It's, it's you need to know how the person feels about you, how the, the love towards you and their passion towards you so that you can love them back. And we need to know how much God loves us. And it was great that John just shared that with us, to know who we are in Christ. Today I'd like to look and see how we can excel in passion from a little character called Bartimaeus. So if you've got your Bibles, would you turn to Mark chapter 10 for me? And we're just going to read verses 46 to 52. A little story you will have read loads of times, I'm sure. But let's just see how we can apply this to our lives today. Verse 46 in Mark 10. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. 
Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. I love that little bit where he says, where they say, cheer up on your feet. I wonder if that's the actual translation. Cheer up on your feet. Here's Bartimaeus on the roadside where he's been for years begging because he has this this disability in his life of being blind that he can't see. How do we excel in passion? I want to look at three things from this story today. And I want to suggest that it's about a matter of direction this morning. We need, perhaps, to find a way to overcome what challenges our passion for God, what challenges our love and desire and our fervor, our zeal for God. Jesus and the disciples and a large crowd, they're passing by this man, Bartimaeus. And up until this day, he's not found a way to deal really, with this major disability, this major issue of his life, his blindness. He's lived with it all his life. And for some of us, you know, we have things in our life that perhaps we need to overcome, something that is in our life that sticks with us that we can't shift or can't get rid of. Perhaps for us, it's become a little bit of a stigma or a little bit of a distinguishing mark in our life that we might even feel to the point it's a bit of a social disgrace, even though others don't even think it, even though everyone around is not saying it. We've just kind of thought it and felt it. We're carrying something, some sort of issue, some sort of disability, not physically, but some sort of difficulty in our life that we are living with. And we sit, are we sitting with it like Bartimaeus with his blindness? Perhaps it's something like you're in a job, but you can't get out of it, or you don't have a job, but you want one, or there's someone who, who doesn't like you, but you wish that they were your friend. Maybe it's some sort of physical handicap. Maybe You're a sick person and you worship a God who heals and that's really hard to live with that. Maybe it's something about your sexuality that you're worried about and you question, am I normal in that? Maybe you want to be married but you're not. And it's all these different things that we carry around with us sometimes that we live with and they become like a difficulty, a bit of a stigma that we carry in our life. And if we're not careful, we focus on that thing. We live our life looking at that thing. So that thing becomes everything. It consumes us. Rather than looking and focusing on the God who is passionate for us, the God who wants us to become everything that we can become, the God who wants to bless us and bring favor on us, the God who is passing by. Maybe today it's a matter of direction. It's where are we directing our focus? Is it on that thing 
or is it on Jesus who's passing by? As you will know, I've recently come back from India. And I haven't shared much about my trip in India, but it was great. It had its highs, and it had its definite lows. The first week I was there was brilliant, okay? It was a brilliant experience. Everything about it was brilliant. I loved it, okay? The food, the, the heat, everything. I remember writing an email back after the first week back home to my friends and family. It went something along the lines of, I'm loving it, it's amazing, I want to come back, I want to explore India for myself again, it's brilliant. The next day, the next day I woke up feeling sick. And I turned to my friend, and we were sharing a room together, I turned to my friend and said, oh, I'm not feeling good. My, my stomach feels dodgy. She was like, okay, well, we'll see how we go. And that was the day when we were beginning our trek. We were trekking in the Himalayas up to about 4,500 meters. It was quite high. And um, we had to do five, range from about five hours a day trekking to nine hours a day. So we were doing this for four or five days. And I started off feeling ill. And we carried on through the first day, got to where we were camping. I won't say it's a camp, because it wasn't. It was just putting up tents in a random place. And we got there, and I didn't feel good. So the second day, I had to be put on a mule. Okay, now, I don't know what was worse, whether it was walking, being ill, or having to sit on a mule. But I tell you what, I prayed really hard that day as I was on this mule. And they took me up the trek face, and... I was there on this mule with one Indian guy who couldn't speak English. I didn't know what was happening to me. I felt ill. And yet I was in this surrounding country, which was just amazing. It was so amazing. Um, the views and everything about it was just wonderful. And, um, but I was so intent on, on holding on to this little mule going up. And then the next day I picked up, I felt a bit better, and then I got worse again until it got to the weekends and we had a 28-hour journey ahead of us on coaches and trains and stuff. And my stomach and everything else decided to explode at that point. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. So that was the Friday, and um, I, we were on a coach, and I had to say to the coach driver, just stop the coach, I've got to get out. And I jumped out, and I had to find the nearest bush, and I was behind the bush, being sick. It was all very not pretty. And I said to my friend, oh, I am at my all-time low right now at this. And she said, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? So she started singing Hey Jude to me. And at that point, well, I did actually go into fits of hysterics because I just thought, well, here I am in India, feeling horrible. My friend's singing Hey Jew to me, thinking that that's going to help. She didn't know what to do. And uh, we cracked up about it. I will never listen to that song in the same way again. But all that to say, really, you know what? When I was feeling so ill, I was so focused on that. And that time throughout that week, I had to say to myself, I had to give myself a kind of metaphorical slap around the face, really, just to say, look, you're in this beautiful place. Take a look around you. Look at the stunning views. You're in the Himalayas. It was so wonderful, so beautiful. I had to get myself away from feeling ill, shift my focus, direct it elsewhere so that I could appreciate all that was around me. Sometimes in life, we carry stuff 
and it robs us of our passion for God because we become so focused on that thing rather than looking at the Jesus who is passing us by. God calls us to overcome those things in our life so that we can expect his favor, so that we can experience him fully to help us excel and ignite our passion for him. He's called us to live by faith, not by sight. Henry Ford said, when everything seems to be going against you, remember the aircraft takes off against the wind, not with it. A lovely little quote. Does our expectation of God, our desire for God, our love for God, our expectation of what he will do in our life and our passion for him, does that serve our difficulty, our disability? Or does that thing, whatever it is, actually submit to our expectation of God. Because we cannot afford to allow the, the stigma, the disability, whatever it is, we cannot afford to allow that to set the course and the pace of our life. It will rob us of our passion for God. It will bring us down. Something would happen to Bartimaeus, this blind man on this day, he had come to know that Jesus of Nazareth, the son of David, was the son of David, the Messiah, the healer, the anointed one. He had lived with the expectation, and this was coming true today. This expectation was overcoming his difficulty today. Bartimaeus' desire for Jesus, it could have been overshadowed by his blindness. That desire, the expectation... It could have been lost if Bartimaeus had focused solely on that and let that speak louder into his situation than who Jesus really was. Well, it'll never change, so why bother? I've had it all this time, so why would Jesus care anyway? I'll just sit through it. But we find throughout the Bible, history, all the time that people did amazing things despite having things in their life that were a difficulty like Bartimaeus, they still were able to find a way to expect God to do great things and be passionate for God. Noah was, despite of his really weird, wacky assignment that he was given to build the ark, despite the ridicule that he got from his neighbors, he went and he obeyed God, built the boat and preserved the life, despite feeling maybe really stupid. Maybe that is something for us, the ridicule of others. Moses, despite a deep sense of inadequacy in his life, really was. He became the liberator, the lawgiver, the leader of the Israelites, even with this sense of feeling so inadequate and insignificant. He had that stigma, that thing in his life that he battled with, but despite that, he did amazing things. Caleb, despite feeling that he was too old, he received the opportunity to defeat the Anakite people. And David, despite feeling so young in his youth and the scorn of his brothers and the opponent of Goliath that he had to defeat, despite of that, he was a man after God's own heart. For some of us, it might be that we feel our age is a problem for our passion for God. But despite this, Jeremiah, despite criticism, despite unpopularity and attacks against him, he was able to faithfully deliver the message of God to the nation of Judah. Daniel, 
despite the exile, the opposition, the encounter with those massive lions, he faithfully served God. Even with those leaders, those powerful leaders of his time, he was faithful. John the Baptist, despite being misunderstood, despite doubting, he pointed others to Jesus. Mary, the mother of Jesus, despite being a teenager, she was amazing, obedient to God, and Jesus was born. She was chosen for that unique, special role. Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, not Jesus of Bethlehem, not Jesus of Jerusalem, but of Nazareth. When Nathanael said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But it was to Nazareth, it was to a remote village, tiny town where the angel Gabriel came to Mary. To Nazareth, a town of insignificance. Despite all of that, she was obedient and the Son of God was born. Peter, despite his history of failure, he became the most visible leader of the church. Paul, despite having been a bitter enemy of Christianity, became the foremost spokesman for the gospel. These amazing people lived with something in their life, had something of maybe they felt might have been a disgrace, a difficulty, a disability. But they still had a passion for God. Bartimaeus throws off his cloak to one side, jumps to his feet and goes to Jesus. He wasn't going to let that stop him. He changed his direction. What about us? What about you? Despite what in your life, despite what stigma, despite what disability, despite your feeling, despite what failure, despite coming from Nazareth, feeling totally insignificant maybe to the rest of the world, will we still become everything that we can become in Christ Jesus? Living with a life of expectancy of what God can do, causing us to overcome that difficulty. How are we going to excel in passion for Christ? Today, for some of us, it may be a matter of direction, a matter of shifting our focus, directing it to Jesus rather than the pain or the disability, not letting Jesus pass us by, but letting expectation rise. Maybe it's not a matter of direction. Maybe it's a matter of determination. I've got three Ds. You'll have to just humor me. I'm a teacher. I need methods and organization. It's a matter of determination. Let's have a look at verse 46. They came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting at the roadside, begging when he heard that it was Jesus. He shouted, Jesus, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him, but he shouted all the more. Jesus was leaving But Bartimaeus still shouted out, you know, it's never too late. He was determined that he was going to 
meet with Jesus. Even though Jesus was on his way out leaving, he wanted to meet with Jesus. He was determined. Jesus was passing through Jericho and it wasn't too late for Zacchaeus to come down and encounter God from the tree. Jesus takes his disciples on a boat to a solitary place to have some space, but the people saw them, recognized them, said, it's not too late. Let's follow them. Jesus was leaving Jericho and Bartimaeus thinks, it's not too late for me. It's not too late. Blindness back then was a serious disease. It was seen as a little less serious than being dead. There's no example in the Old Testament of a cure at all. Because every Jew knew that the promised messianic age would bring healing to the blind. They, they had that in their minds. Isaiah talks about it. Isaiah says, um, the dark and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. The eyes of the blind will be opened. It says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I'll take hold of your hand. I'll keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives. They had that. They knew that. Jesus gave a message to John the Baptist that healing of blindness was one of the signs of the coming one. The only hope and dream for Bartimaeus was that that Jesus, that Messiah, would come in his lifetime. And that was the hope that he was clinging on to. Will that happen? Because that's what I'm waiting for. We know the Messiah will open blind eyes. Will that happen for me? Many days for him spent, I'm sure, in discouragement at the side of the road begging, living with a dream, living with a hope that the Messiah would come and open his eyes. What was it that caused Moses to give up and ask God to kill him? It was discouragement. After experiencing a revival at Nineveh, why did Jonah want to curl up and die? It was discouragement. What made Elijah move from that mountain carmel experience to a cave wallowing in self-pity? It was discouragement. It seems that people who achieve anything, sometimes at some point in their life, have had to battle with discouragement. And Bartimaeus knew what it was, I'm sure, to be discouraged, to sit there day after day with this difficulty. In 2 Corinthians, it says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. This was Paul writing. And Paul wasn't specific about the details. We don't know why he was despairing of living any longer. But he wanted the, the Corinthians to know. He wanted them to know that they had suffered and they'd overcome. They'd gone through this, but they'd managed to overcome. Our determination, our determination can silence the voice of discouragement to enable us to excel in passion, to quiet that voice so that we can see God and encounter God. It takes determination. How can discouragement beat me when I am determined in my purpose for life, 
when I am determined about my purpose in God. It says in Philippians, for me, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. How can discouragement come when I am resolute and determined in my purpose and I know it? How can discouragement beat me when I'm determined in my service and who I'm serving? Joshua 24 says, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. How can discouragement come when I am determined in that? How can discouragement beat me when I'm determined in my status as a Christian? Romans 8 says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors in him who loved us. How can discouragement come when we are determined in our status, when we know who we are in Christ? It's never too late to become determined again. I came across this code. You might have heard it, a code of persistence by a man called um, Harold Sherman. It says, I will never give up so long as I know I'm right. I will believe that all things will work out for me if I hang on until the end. I will be courageous and undismayed in the face of odds. I will not permit anyone to intimidate me or deter me from my goals. I will fight to overcome all physical handicaps and setbacks. I will try again and again and yet again to accomplish what I desire. I will take new faith and resolution from the knowledge that all successful men and women have had to fight defeat and suffering. I will never surrender to discouragement or despair, no matter what seeming obstacles may confront me. That's quite powerful. I can't say I live by that all the time. But maybe if we are determined in who we are, in our purpose, our service, our status of children of God, then we can overcome the discouragement, the discouragement that sometimes so easily will try and rob us of our passion for God, will bring us down. You might have experienced failure. You might have been overwhelmed by discouragement. You might have quit from everything in life and just thought, that's it. But today is a new day. And today we can receive the touch of Christ. And today we can rise again in a new level of determination. Because when we think it's all over, when we think that at that point, God comes in and God says, oh, well, we haven't even begun yet. I can relight that passion. I can ignite it again in your life. Just watch what I can do. God came to Jonah and he brought understanding to Jonah, to his situation. He comes to Moses and he challenges Moses with this question. Is the Lord's arm too short? Meaning kind of watch this space. Look what I can do. And he comes to Elijah and he calls Elijah out of the cave and into the place of that still small voice of God, bringing balance back into his life. It's never too late. Bartimaeus knew it's not too late for me. I am determined in this. I'm not going to let Jesus pass me by. I'm not going to let discouragement dictate anymore what's going to happen. You know, if you're like me, sometimes you can even come here to this place, to this building, and you're discouraged and you're down, and, and you can let it just dictate what happens. And you don't really feel like worshipping God, and you don't want to see God, and, you know, you just let God pass by, and then you go, and then that's it. Because... We kind of let it dictate to us, and sometimes we feel that way. 
We don't have to let that happen. Like Bartimaeus, it's not too late. We can be determined. How are we going to excel in passion for Christ? For some of us, it's about determination, overcoming that voice of discouragement and remembering that we can be determined in our purpose and our service and our status of who, of who we are as children of God. And finally, I think it's also a matter of decision. Just let me read this to you. In the winter of 1964, Nelson Mandela arrived on Robben Island where he would spend 18 of his 27 prison years. Confined to a small cell, the floor, his bed, a bucket for a toilet, he was forced to do hard labour in a quarry. He was allowed one visitor a year for 30 minutes. He would write and receive one letter every six months. Robben Island became the crucible which transformed him. Through his intelligence, charm and dignified defiance, Mandela eventually bent even the most brutal prison officials to his will, assumed leadership over his jailed comrades and became the master of his own prison. He emerged from it the mature leader who would fight and win the great political battles that would create a new democratic South Africa. Nelson Mandela, his powerful character, his imagination to overcome what the jailers wanted to do, to dehumanize him. And he said in an interview um, to Oprah Winfrey in, in 2001, if, it had not, if I had not been in prison, I would not have been able to achieve the most difficult task in life, and that is changing myself. You see, Mandela didn't see himself as a passive victim, someone who was imprisoned by others. He just saw himself as an individual who happened to be in prison. And instead of allowing that circumstance, and instead of allowing the jailers to define who he was, he came out with a new heroic identity, one that inspired millions and still continues to inspire millions. Verse 50 says this, Throwing his cloak aside, Bartimaeus jumps to his feet and comes to Jesus. He wasn't going to be a victim of his circumstance, of his difficulty, of his disability. He wasn't going to let that dictate. He had to decide, he had to make a choice what he was going to do, and he jumps to his feet, and he goes to Jesus. You know, at some point in our lives, it might be in church, it might have been at home, wherever you were, I don't know where you were, but at one point in your life, you prayed a really important prayer. You prayed the most significant prayer that you will have ever prayed. And I'm not sure if you can remember that moment. Most of us can, when we committed ourselves to Christ. That important moment. And at that moment, we need to be reminded of what we did and what we entered into, the truth of that moment. That moment we became saved, completely and utterly, 100% saved. Saved from sin, saved from death, saved from hell, saved from fear, saved from anxiety, saved from our shame, from our guilt, saved from anger, from jealousy, from selfishness, envy, whatever it was, we were completely and utterly saved when we gave our lives to Christ. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus gave us back an identity that had been lost. We moved from being a sinner to being a saint, a child born of God. 
we became born again. Being born is something that someone, you know, it happens to someone that they're not there before and then they are. They're born. We see them. And we were born to be something new. We were born again as someone, not just getting something, but someone different, a saint. Because it's who we are that's more important than what we do. It says, how great is the love which the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That's what we are, it says in 1 John. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Why do we as Christians still struggle so much with our identity, with aspects of our identity? What sets us free? Is it the power or truth? Some say it's the power You know, God, I've got this. I'm going through this. This is happening. It's very me-focused, kind of that victim mentality. And it's, God, will you take this from me? Will you take this from me? When actually, it's not the power that sets us free. It's the truth that sets us free. The truth that when we committed our lives to Christ, we were saved. We were someone different. We were made a saint. The truth will set us free. We need to encounter the truth rather than just the power, and not become a victim, have that victim mentality of our circumstances, because that will rob us of our passion for Christ. That will rob us of our love for him. There's a hymn, it says this, there's a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar, for the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there. In the sweet by and by we shall meet on the beautiful shore. In the sweet by and by we shall meet on the beautiful shore. That's a hymn it comes out of a slavery mindset that one day will be free. But the idea that we can only experience God's promises and blessings in heaven that day is not biblical. We can experience them now. We can experience God's blessings and favor now. We're in the promised land now. It's not someday the promised land will be here. It's now. When we stepped through the blood of Jesus on that cross, when we entered that, we entered the promised land. We're in it. And you may well say, well, it doesn't really feel like the promised land. I have this situation in my life. It doesn't really feel like the promised land. I don't really feel favor and blessing. Well, let's have a look at what the promised land looks like in the Bible. It looked like this. Giants in the land, enemies in the land, Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, lots of other rites going on there. The promised land wasn't easy then. And they don't want you to know that that is your land. They didn't want them to know that that was their land. They didn't want them to settle there. They didn't want them to take control of it. And sometimes we might think it's someday, but it's now. We're in the promised land now. God wants to bless us. And how we we need an expectancy now, today, of God. The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. And sometimes we can find as Christians, we don't want to do anything to bring about God's blessing in our life. To get what we want in the promised land, we need to want it so badly we're prepared to fight. Not fight like we think fight in anger or hate or whatever it is. Fight with one of humbling ourselves before God, of people, of love for others, of grace, of mercy. These are the tools to fight with. See, Bartimaeus made the decision 
I'm not going to be a victim anymore of this. I'm not going to be a victim. My desire for Christ, I'm going to throw away my cloak. I'm going for Jesus. And desire for Christ will take in us a decision to be made, a choice where we will say, I'm not going to let this dictate, control, be everything to me anymore. I'm going to reach out and I'm going to look for the blessings of Christ, the favor of Jesus. The truth will set you free. Today, I don't know what we're going through or what's happening in our lives, but I guess that we all love God and we're all passionate for God, but things come along where we just find ourselves sometimes at some points a little bit lukewarm. Today, maybe we need to change our direction and change our focus and look to Jesus and be expectant. Maybe we need to change our determination and realize that we can be determined in our purpose, our service, and our status, and it will silence our discouragement. Maybe today it's about deciding that we won't be a victim making a decision, knowing that the truth will set us free. We are completely saved. That is our identity in Christ. Let's just take a think of our own lives and what's happening in our lives at the moment and our passion for God and where we are and our our zeal, our, our fervor for God. Perhaps today we need to look at the story of Bartimaeus and think, do I need to do some of those things in my life? I don't want discouragement. I don't want my stigma or that issue or that difficulty. I don't want that to dictate to me any longer how I live my life. I don't want to let it rob me of my passion for God. I'm going to change. I'm going to direct my focus to God and I'm going to be determined and I'm going to decide today that I want all that God can give me and I want to become all that God wants me to become. Father God, I thank you for your word to us. Thank you for this story of Bartimaeus and his life, what we can learn from that. God, we love you. Lord, we want to live for you. We want our lives to be a passionate expression of our love for you. But Lord, stuff comes along and it robs us and it overshadows our fervor. We don't want it to any longer, Lord. We want to t- today to, to be resolute in, in looking at you and saying, actually, I'm not going to let this thing be everything to me anymore. I'm not going to let this pain, this difficulty, this discouragement, this stigma, this problem, I'm not going to let it stop me from racing after you. I don't want you to pass me by, Jesus. I want all of you. And I know that's difficult. But today, Lord Jesus, we just want to come and give ourselves to you again. Lord, it's all about you. It always has been. It always will be. We want to live for you. Lord, help us not to be consumed by the things we think bother everybody else, by the things that get us down. God, would you come to us? Will you bless us? We'll be expectant for more of you because we want to be everything that you destined us to become. 
Lord, I thank you that you love us so much. Lord, I thank you for the cross. I thank you for our status in you, that we are children of God. That's amazing, and we thank you for that. Let us not forget our identity. Let us not forget who we are in you, in the fullness of you. Let us be immersed in what you think of us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads, information, or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk.